Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is, I'm Peter Whittle. Now I'm delighted that my guest today is the host of one of Britain's most popular podcasts. Chris Williamson hosts Modern Wisdom. He has interviewed something like a hundred uh, New York Times best-selling writers during that period, including people like Jordan Peterson and Douglas Murray. He's recently been interviewed himself by Joe Rogan. Um, delighted that he's joining me today. Thanks very much indeed, Chris, for coming. Thanks um, for having me. No, it's, a, uh, it's great to have you. Um, now, you've just had uh, a major landmark in that you've passed 500,000 subscribers to your podcast. So what's the secret? <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't expect anything to happen very fast. Right. It's 530 episodes that it's taken to get to 500,000 subs. Right. And I think it took 250 or 300 episodes to get to 100,000. So basically, it's a, it's a long old slog. But if you enjoy anything that you enjoy doing, if to you it feels like play and to everybody else it feels like work, that's your competitive advantage. And I enjoy talking to people, yeah. enjoy having interesting conversations. So it's, it hasn't felt like uh, too arduous. Now, I'm sure that a lot of people watch this also watch uh, Modern Wisdom. But is it right to characterize it as very much the same kind of um, content in a way as Joe Rogan, in the sense that you talk to people from all fields, don't you? And it's all about ideas. I mean, why, why did you go that route? How did you come up with this? Yeah, I think it's fair to draw parallels between me and Rogan. He mm. was a big influence on me. I think it's difficult to be a podcaster in this age and him not be a big influence on you. He's the leader of this yeah. space and he's established a lot of the working practices. Common held wisdom in the online content creation world is that you're supposed to niche down first, capture a small niche and then broaden out from there. Right. I never wanted to do that. I, I'm far too easily distracted and far too curious for that to be the case. And I think a lot of people are like that. A lot of people aren't just interested in rugby and the Renaissance and 16th century art and whatever, right? People are interested in all sorts of different things. And I felt that and thought, well, if I continue to follow my curiosity and just bring on people that are interesting. Yes. Douglas has got this great story about one of his mentors from when he was younger and he said, um, He'd opened a show in the West End about Prince Charles and the entire thing was in rhyming couplets. And it closed before the interval of the first showing. Right. And Douglas went up and spoke to him and this guy was devastated. He put all of this money and time and effort into it. And Douglas said, yeah, well, why, why did he decide to, I mean, this is a pretty out there idea. He said, well, you know, Douglas, I, I followed my instincts. Instincts may sometimes lead you wrong, but they're the only thing that's ever led you right. And I like that idea. I like the idea of being drawn forward just by curiosity. The same way as you go into a museum or an art gallery. You presume that the curator knows what he's doing. Yep. Maybe not every piece is perfect for you. Maybe some stuff you're familiar with. Maybe some stuff's brand new. But you just have faith. And I think that over time, reflecting our varied and idiosyncratic nature amongst us with the things that we talk about has stopped me from being bored. And it's kept everything nice and varied and exciting. But it, you had quite a career change, didn't you? Because you were a club promoter, you were a model, uh, you were on Love Island in 2015, I believe it was. An illustrious history. So, yes. so basically you're talking about the world of reality TV, um, partying. Yeah. Um, why suddenly did you decide to go in this direction? Or was it sudden? 
I, I think it, it kind of looked sudden. It was brewing under the surface for a little while. <clears throat> I needed something that was more fulfilling than what I was doing. Mm. I absolutely adore the work that I did in my business, and I'm super, super proud of what we achieved with the nightlife stuff, but it didn't fulfill me existentially. No one ever came out of one of my events and said, do you know what it is, man? I was lost and alone, but after I heard that banging house music and had some one pound Jager bombs, dude, you changed my life, man. Like, no one ever f said that to me. And it was like being thirsty for a drink and not knowing what I needed to consume. And as soon as I started having conversations that really genuinely impacted people in a positive way, it, it fulfilled me. And it was something that I didn't know that I needed. So I was toward the end of my 20s and I'd achieved success, I suppose, in the way that society might tell a young man that he's supposed to achieve success with status and women and money and acclaim and all that stuff. And I I'd found it lacking, kind of. I, I, frankly, it just, it, I felt like, is this really all that there is? Is me in a small pair of swim shorts on Love Island really the peak of what it is that I have to offer the world. I think it would be for many people. Well, <laughs> and don't get me wrong, that's not for me to say that that isn't, that's nothing. You know, no, for I a meant big you being on Love Island. Yeah, well, per, per, perhaps that might be their, their favourite. There are photos floating around on the internet still of that. Now, I just felt like that the, there should be something more. There felt like there was something missing. This is a time when Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan, Alanda Botton from the School of Life, Sam Harris, people are saying these are some of the pitfalls yeah. and these are some of the um, successes that you can expedite yourself toward. Perhaps you should take notes, perhaps you should tell the truth, perhaps you should work hard at things. And I thought, well, this has helped me. I need to pay this forward. All of the advice that I took from those people, it's now time for me to try and pass that on. It's not, in a, it's not a particularly political uh, podcast, is it, Modern Wisdom? But I mean, I wonder whether, you know, have you become more interested in politics? Have you sort of developed political views over that time, particularly? Have they changed from what they were? Yeah, I think I, I try and avoid politics overall. Culture fascinates me. Yeah. And the way that we interact is the line between politics and culture now basically doesn't even exist anymore. You know, a lot of the issues that are political are to do with the culture. Mm. So, yeah, I, I try to just follow whatever it feels like is right. Yeah. Whatever my view uh, identifies with for one topic, I mean, Peterson talks about this a lot. If I know one of your views and from it, I can accurately predict everything else that you believe, mm. you're not a serious thinker. Mm. Everyone mm. should be idiosyncratic mm. and individual and unique. Mm. And I don't adhere to any pre-defined yeah. set of beliefs. And I think that that's restrictive. As soon as you decide to put a label, I'm a dot, dot, dot. You're now within a particular camp yeah. where if you diverge from that viewpoint, it looks like betrayal to your own side and a show of weakness to the opposite side. And even the opposite sides were just people. So for me, following curiosity, and I've learned an awful lot about the way that culture and politics intersect, and I've developed and established my own rules, remembering that I had my head up my ass for most of my 20s, just filling nightclubs and doing the reality TV thing. I've kind of been exposed pretty quickly to a lot of culture and politics, but it's not something that I adhere to too strictly. But I just wonder, you know, if you now, um, you know, you've had this extraordinary number of people on, on your show talking about these issues. I wonder, therefore, what you, what you make of what you might call the sort of the Tinder, Instagram, partying culture, which is quite dominant now. I mean, you know, how, what's your view on it? How would you analyse it if you, if you would? I think that there's a few different elements to separate here. 
Party culture in the UK, for better or for worse, is a rite of passage that a lot of people go through. If you are between the ages of 18 and 22, where you're going to make friends and have life experiences, is in bars and pubs and clubs. Mm. That's just part of the culture. And I don't think that it's a bad thing. I think it's important to know what it feels like to lose your keys in Manchester at three in the morning and your phone be out of battery. I think that's actually a, an important life experience. And it allows you to have common ground as you grow up with other people because everyone's got those stories. I, I actually mm -hmm. did my master's dissertation on this, on the effectiveness of anti-alcohol advertising on students at Newcastle really? University. Yeah, and they see these uh, stories as badges of honor and rites of passage. And that allows you to actually um, collaborate uh, and find affinity with people as you grow up. Party culture, I think, is for better or for worse, it's here to stay. And I, I think it was a big formative part of, of my youth. When it comes to Tinder, dating, and the modern mating crisis yeah. overall that we are finding ourselves in, I think that that is... You a, think it is a crisis? I think it's absolutely a mating crisis. Yeah. I mean, you, the number of young people between the ages of 18 and 30, men, has tripled the number of people that aren't having sex in the last year. I from, looked at that on your, on your side. Around about 10% to 28%. Yeah. Uh, the, that, that finishes in 2018 as well. So you've got all of COVID to add on to that, which is just going to skyrocket this, increasing levels of social anxiety, you've got increasing levels of loneliness, men are struggling to find male friends and female partners. Yeah. Uh, for the first time in history, more women at the age of 30 are going to be childless than with children. Mm. It's 50.1% for the first time ever. Uh, not Reuters, someone else. Morgan Stanley just released a report saying that by 2030, 45% of prime working age women between the ages of 22 and 45 will be unmarried and without children. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't see how women being told that their primary contribution to the world is to work in a job they hate, to buy bags mm -hmm. and shoes to impress people they don't like, and calling that freedom, mm -hmm. to me, doesn't seem particularly free. There's something called the male mm -hmm. default, which is that whatever masculine traits typically were brought in, the lean in, boss bitch, go and get after it, highly industrious worldview, uh, that that is something that is necessarily aspirational that makes mothers second-class citizens. Yes. If you're a stay-at-home mum, this is because you've been rubed into doing what the patriarchy always wanted you to do. My mum took nine, ten years off work to raise me, and dad was a very working-class guy. So it was three people living on three-quarters of a people's wage. And for you to tell my mum that she was conned into living mm. some patriarchal superstructures design that that doesn't seem very mm. fair to me and downstream from this you have increasing female achievement which women didn't have equal access to education and employment for a very long time by 2030 you're going to have two women for every one man that are completing a four-year u.s college we're course. talking britain now uh four-year u.s college course but the the stats mm. bear out in the uk as well between the ages of 21 and 29, women earn on average 1,111 pounds more than their male counterparts. Now, all of this is, is if you take the girl boss lean in thing, is fantastic. Problem being that women typically tend to date what's called up and across, which is hypergamously. They date in a manner that up is- Up and across. Up and across, so that if you could imagine a hierarchy, women will tend to want to date a man which is, who are more statusful with more education uh, and more money than them, typically. And better looking and- uh, uh, Not necessarily better looking because women will tend to trade 
youth and fertility for status and resources. Right. Men come in with status and resources, women come in with youth and fertility. That's typically how it works. This is borne out, the uh, reductio ad absurdum is the 70-year-old billionaire that's dating the 23-year-old yeah. playboy model, right? Everybody understands the dynamic that's going on there. It's just played out in an extreme. The problem is that as women have continued to, quite rightly, achieve equal parity and then increasing educational attainment, if women that have degrees want to date men that have degrees, but there's two women with a degree for every one man with a degree, you can say, okay, well, mm. once all of those men are eaten up, who are those women going to date? Mm. So you have an, two worlds occurring at the same time, which is um, women need to continue to out-earn and out-educate men. I have no problem with that at all, but also in the same breath saying, where have all the good men gone? Yeah. When you say good men, you mean men that are up and across from your current position. Mm -hmm. And if you as a woman stand atop your own competence hierarchy, it's very difficult to find a man that's up and above your own. Right? It's the equivalent of being a tall friend. It's a tall friend problem. Yeah. If you're a six foot two woman who wants to date men that are taller than you, you're looking at professional athletes. Yes. The same thing is happening with regards to education and employment. Now, who is going to be able to say, women, have you ever considered that actually you might not want to be as educated or as employed as you as you are at the moment because that will make your dating opportunities better? No, obviously, that's, yeah, yeah, we're, not, yeah. we're not going to put that toothpaste back in the tube, and I don't think it would be desirable either. But I do think that one of the things that we need to identify is that a global dating market, which means that you're no longer restricted just to your local location, has opened up an awful lot of dating opportunities, casual sex. Louise Perry's book, The uh, mm. Case Against the Sexual Revolution, is fantastic with this, where she says that the same way that sex and reproduction were decoupled from each other is the same way that sex and having feelings have been decoupled from each other. Mm. There's articles in Elle and Cosmopolitan that teach women how to sleep with a man for a one-night stand and not catch feels. They're actually encouraging women to disembody catch themselves. feels? Yes, to oh, not right, feel okay. yeah, like yeah. they're actually um, emotionally connected mm. with whoever mm. it is they're sleeping with. I just think, I, I don't see how any of this is desirable. I, I, I understand that not that married life and family life is not for every woman. Absolutely, that sounds. You know, women should be able to choose whatever it is that they want to do. But women that want to be mothers, being told that they're second-class citizens, mm -hmm. doesn't sit well with me. And being told that the nine-to-five job that you work for the next few decades, so that you get to go on a few more holidays, classing that as freedom also doesn't seem like a good world to me. But where does this where does this leave men, though, Chris? In the sense that I mean, is your audience, is it mostly men or not? Or about two-thirds to three-quarters. About two-thirds to three-quarters. So that is a, a kind of function of YouTube, from what I can understand, mm. isn't it? I mean, YouTube skews heavily male. Yes. Um, there is this problem we've talked about a lot on the, sh on, the sh on the show with various people. You know, you have men now committing suicide in far greater rates than they did. Young men. And they're called toxic. Um, how do you, do you actually give... You discuss these things. Do you actually ever give people the benefit of your modern wisdom? Do you ever sort of explain maybe what people might do? Do you, do you, you know, do, do people rely on you for that? Sometimes. I mean, I've never posited myself as an expert in anything, really. I think what I do is I try to ask right, the right questions from people that know more than me. Yeah. Um, but in order to transcend your programming, you first have to become aware of it. In order for women to realize, oh, heck, like maybe the, the um, career path or the mother path that I've been told that I'm supposed to follow down, maybe I do need to assess that a little bit more. And the same thing goes for men. Maybe the masculine traits that I've previously considered to be toxic actually aren't that. 
But it's it's difficult. You know, the the previous roles that we used to rely on and the the places that we used to take solace in as being a uh, home creator, as being a breadwinner, all of these things are now thrown up in the air. And tradition is a set of solutions for which we have forgotten the problems, Donald Kingsbury says. Yes. And as you throw traditions out, a lot of the time the problem comes back. Yeah. So we are now having to reinvent solutions uh, for problems that we'd already fixed. Yeah. You mentioned uh, your mother there and father. Tell us a little bit more about your... You, you grew up in Newcastle, did you not? Stockton on Tees. But you, you live in Newcastle now? Uh, Austin, Texas, technically. Oh, you're actually there all the... Why Austin, actually, before we go? It's the centre of the universe for podcasting at the moment. The yeah. weather's good. The live music is fantastic. And there's a lot of good gyms. So yeah. for me, that seemed like a good enough reason to go. But uh, yes, but tell us a little bit about your, you know, your your background. Your where you went to school. Right. So state primary, state secondary, state sixth form in Stockton on Tees. Very very normal upbringing. Yeah. I think um, uh, I'm an only child, and it's difficult as any only child knows to be as socialised as everyone else because they put time in learning how to communicate with other kids when yeah. they're at home, and you don't. Yeah. And that meant that I was a little bit on the outside looking in. I used to do things like I would obsess over the way that people tied their ties or the sort of shoes that they had in, in school. Uh, and I would be adamant that that's the reason that they had loads of friends and I didn't. Yeah. So I'd be fixated on certain elements of things. And then obviously I didn't realize it was just because I wasn't communicating particularly well and I didn't understand how to be social with other kids. But that was the upbringing. And I played a lot of cricket. It was a, I was a normal, a normal socially awkward kid. And then went to university at 18, started running nightlife stuff, uh, very quickly became a, a businessman and attached my sense of self-worth to the business. I think a lot of that is something that's very common for people, especially young people that want to be, they want to find success. Yeah. And as soon as they find something they're successful at, that's their life. They are the business, mm -hmm. existentially connected to it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was fun. I enjoyed my time in the north of the UK. And then uh, started this year, I took a trip out to America. So you, when did you start modeling? How did that come about? I needed more money at uni. Yeah. Same reason that I started club promo. And also I think because I was so unpopular and, and on the outside looking in as a kid, I wanted to do things that made people need me or want me. Right, so I looked you say at, unpopular, what you, you, why unpopular? Uh, I just didn't connect with other kids, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. uh, I would have been, I was bullied, not insanely badly, but I was pretty close to the bottom of the, hierarchy there. Yeah. So I think that as I grew up, the belief that I needed to do things to make people want me or need me came through. Mm -hmm. So uh, being a club promoter stood on the front door. If I'm the guy that's got all the bands to VIP, yep. you need me. Perhaps because of a belief that I am not worthy of love or acceptance or praise without being able to transactionally offer something in return. That's obviously not a particularly healthy way to view yourself or the world, but it got me past that first hurdle of or maybe I'm not worth anything. Mm -hmm. And increasingly I tried to put myself, I think this is me bro sciencing my own psychology in retrospect, so I might be wrong. <laughs> but I think looking at that, I had tried to find a way to make people need me. And if they needed me, it didn't matter if they didn't like me because usually people didn't like me, but if they needed me, that would be a good surrogate. Mm -hmm. And with modeling as well, well, people that are models are high status. They're seen as someone mm -hmm. that, that is uh, held in good esteem and maybe people want to be around a model. So. I mean, that, again, don't get me wrong, that wasn't the only reason I did it. It paid well and it was fun. 
and I did DJing, and I did reality TV, and it was just a, a litany of things that a professional party boy would do. Yeah. And then, yeah, got toward the end of my 20s and thought, is this really all that I've got to offer? And that was when the podcast started. Yeah. Well, it's been, I mean, where is it sort of going, do you think, then, Chris? You've got this big podcast now. You said oh, well over 500,000 subscribers now in Austin. Where's the natural step for something like that? I don't know. I mean, could you do like two or three programs a week? Three a week, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the classic arc is to, well, release a course or write a book or do whatever. Uh, and right now, all that I'm bothered about is continuing to grow the show. I love doing what I'm doing. I love refining the art of having conversations and finding interesting people. You'll know this. For a long time, you're riding on the coattails of people who have more status and clout than you do. Yeah. And then after a while, you can be that springboard for people that you believe should have a bigger platform. That's one of the coolest things, finding interesting new people that need more exposure and giving it to them. So William Costello, who just did a fantastic study on incels, involuntary celibates. So this is the sexless underclass of men that are kind of yeah. being left behind by the current mating crisis that we're seeing. And he did this fantastic study on it. and. I brought him on and then messaged Michaela Peterson and she brought him on and I've messaged Jordan and maybe he might bring him on. And it's that's awesome to be able to be that yes. springboard for someone. Now there's a little bit of associated glory that you get to bask in finding yeah. cool and interesting people, yeah. but yeah. it's nice. I really yeah. enjoy doing that. Who, who, who would you really like to have on? Who would you really like to interview? Mm. Is, so, is there, there's some people... I'd be interested to have The Rock on. I think he would be cool. Right, yes. uh, the WWE guy. I think that his uh, mentality is very interesting. Sam Harris is someone, although he's... Uh, he's currently on, on a bit of a downer, isn't he? I mean, he's he, been, yeah. he, he got thrown... Well, I mean, he threw himself under the bus. Like, yes. Constantine and Francis. For the people that haven't seen uh, Trigonometry Boys, Constantine and Francis went and did an episode with Sam in his house, and Sam's typically precise language seemed to slip a little bit, and he said, I wouldn't care if Hunter Biden had had children in his, dead children in his basement. This story should have been suppressed around the time of the... Uh, 2020 presidential campaign yeah and I, it, this was unprompted it wasn't yeah yes you know someone on the other end doing a hard nose it wasn't andrew neil pointing in his face and saying what is it you think about this yes this was all self-immolation we, we saw the uh, harry carry committed in front of us so yeah. um that was an interesting one but i still i mean you know when you've got a career that's whatever 30 years long people you're going to say stupid stuff it just happens to have been a, a pretty bad time i still very much um enjoy the work that sam has done and, and does. Uh, so he would be interesting to speak to. You know, Peterson's been on twice. He was great. Um, speaking to Joe, being on Joe's show. What, what, about, what is it about The Rock that you, you would want to <laughs> No, no, I, the reason I'm saying it is that I've always found him, you know, because I used to be a movie critic for quite a long time. Um, and I always, he was one of the, my favorite film actors. He's got a, just an innate charm, yeah. for, I, I think. See, and I, he, he did this wonderful message just uh, after the Queen died, you know, she didn't need to it's do, it. and he, he did it from his gym, and uh, it was charming. And, and there seemed to be a generosity about his character. That's why I like him, but why would you want? Similar, man. Good energy. He's someone that prizes hard work. I think when people get to the stratosphere of their career, and you almost decouple them from being a real person. They, yeah. They're like a representation of ideas, like a WWE character. They're yeah. not a person anymore, they're a, a symbol. Yeah. And seeing The Rock as someone that still does work hard, that yeah. do, you do feel like you can observe the work that he puts in, whether it be in the gym, with his acting, with his businesses, whatever it might be. I think he's got a very admirable mentality. Yeah. 
And again, he's said, he's said some pretty stupid stuff in his past as well. He got popped for saying some things a few years ago on Twitter. Everyone's got skeletons in the closet, whether that be past posts and stuff like that. But I think he would be an interesting one to speak yes, to. Yes, he did do it. He said a few things and then immediately apologized for them, I think. But that had the, that had the very anodyne things. But I think it had the feeling of his publicist saying, you better get on and say Correct. I didn't mean it that way uh -huh. or something like that. Um, there is a, with him this sort of sense um, of someone who, who's absolutely made themselves into this thing, you know, into this movie star and sports star and everything. That is a big part of what, what I feel when I look at your stuff, is this kind of idea of how can I absolutely reach my full potential? Is that right? To say? I think so, yeah. They say that true hell is when the person that you are meets the person that you could have been. And yeah. for a long time, especially yeah. given the background that I come from, I don't think that I was meant to live a particularly extraordinary life. And that's not even to say that living an extraordinary life is something that people are supposed to aim toward. Yeah. You know, some of the things that I enjoy doing the most are the most simple areas mm. that there can be. I, I just don't think for a long time that I considered that I was supposed to be happy, all that happy. Mm. And the influence that I was able to have over my own life direction is something that I really wish that I could gift to a lot of other people. Mm. The fact that I thought that I was kind of locked into a particular type of living. I suffered with depression a good amount through my 20s, probably contributed to quite heavily by the fact I was going to bed at two or three in the morning, three mm. or four nights a week, mm. because that was my job. Mm. So an unstable sleep and wake pattern. Maximizing agency, personal sovereignty, the ability for you to change the direction of how your life is moving. Not just in a, oh, well, maybe I'll stop eating chocolate on a nighttime, like a really fundamental, yes. serious change yes. in the way that you view yourself or the way that the world views you or the way that you interact with the people around you. That to me is an unbelievably exciting prospect because I went from being someone that wasn't particularly proud of the person that he was, although I had the trappings publicly of a lot of things that society would tell you you should do. And I'm now in a place still working away with a million foibles that I still need to work through. But I'm now in a place where I feel much more proud of the person that I am. And I know that there are a lot of young guys and young girls mm. out there that need to be able to hear that they can make those changes as well. And not just from someone, you look at a David Goggins or a Jocko Willink or a The Rock or a Joe Rogan or whatever. <clears throat> Looking at somebody who is 25 steps ahead of you the arc feels, the chasm is so vast that you're supposed to leap over. Whereas people can go back and watch episodes from four and a half years ago when I'm sat in my office with the guy, one of my friends that was gonna row the Atlantic solo. That's the first episode. You can see me practicing in public and learning out loud. Mm. And the trajectory, I know Constantine feels this way as well, that his early episodes that he's super embarrassed about and the audio's terrible and he, he doesn't know what he's saying, he's tripping over his words and he's forgetting what he's talking about. These things show that progression. It tracks that progression. It's like a diary, right? Each individual iteration, Rogan refers to it as building a mountain with layers of paint. Yes. And each time that you do it, you're just one step closer. Mm. And yeah, especially for people in the UK, I don't like the tall poppy syndrome that we have in the UK at all. One of the biggest changes that I've noticed since being in America is that people in America are genuinely happy for you when you're doing well. Mm. That's not to say that pe some people in the UK aren't, Anybody that tries to tell me that tall poppy syndrome isn't a big deal in the UK hasn't been to the working class towns of the north. If you diverge from what the typical norm is, you will be very quickly beaten down by why are you doing that? That's stupid, that's silly, that's whatever. And I realize 
in retrospect, how much of that I took on board, that it made me fearful for doing new things. It made me scared about taking a chance on myself. And I go out to America, and as much as America is a terrible, cis-heteronormative, patriarchal superstructure that's bigoted and keeping everybody down, the American dream still very much is alive in a lot of places. And it gives people this blue sky vision. I was doing a show not long ago, and on the way from my flat to the car that was picking me up, two of my friends rang, and both of them were American, and both of them didn't know each other, and they said, hey man, I just wanted to let you know, I know that you're gonna be nervous for tonight, but I've got some beers in with the missus, and we're gonna watch, and you're gonna crush it, and I can't wait to see it, and I was yeah. like, oh dude, thank you, I really, really appreciate that, put the phone down. Ring, ring, someone else rang, different person, different friend group, same message, basically. I just thought, wow, that's so encouraging to see that. But it wouldn't happen here? I think it would have been less likely. Mm. I've met about a million people in my life, throughout running nightlife. And I've had to work really, really hard to create the small friend group that I've got. Yes. I just want to try and show people in the UK, young guys and young girls that are ambitious, that there is a lot more, there are far more opportunities than you think out there for you. And that you can change your life direction, not just stopping eating sweets on the nighttime, but genuinely making alterations that you're going to enjoy and that you're going to feel valuable and fulfilled with. Do you think, you know, that there's a, again, there's apparently a mental health crisis. I, I, that is debatable. But when people do have depression, would you agree with this thought that it's actually about a, a terrible, lack of purpose. I mean, that's after having thought about it myself and all the time, I can't help feeling that that is what it is. It's actually people are sort of searching for a purpose. I don't mean in a religious sense necessarily, but something outside themselves. You know, they, people sort of are taught in a way now to look into themselves all the time to try and find it. And um, <laughs> will you find it there? I'm not so sure. I mean, do you see what I mean? Would you agree with that or not? My belief is fundamentally most people that are suffering with low mood are biologically not providing themselves with the environment that allows them to have a good mood. Okay. Uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman, who's been on my show, we can put a link to that episode in the show notes if people want to go and check that out. He's fantastic. He's got a tagline that says, you cannot change the mind with the mind, you have to change it with the body. And what he means is that if you are sleeping poorly, eating poorly, not drinking enough water, mm -hmm you're not connecting with the people around you, you don't have a job that you feel fulfills you and you're not exercising, yeah. you could take the happiest person on the planet and mess with those elements yeah, of their yeah. life and make them miserable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so if you are suffering with low mood and you are not making sure that those bases are covered, you're not giving yourself the opportunity to be happy. How are you going to be happy if you're going to bed at different times seven days a week? Mm -hmm. How are you going to be happy if you don't have anybody around you that you can talk to? Now, the meaning conversation, the higher purpose, the logos and speaking your truth forward into the world, all of that's important as well. But even if you had all of that on lockdown and the, you're just feeling like you're contributing to whatever it is that you've always wanted to do, but you're not exercising and you're not eating right mm -hmm. and you're not sleeping particularly well, that's going to cut off everything that you do at the knees. And the reason that I say this is the first stable sleep and wake pattern I ever had was COVID as an adult. I'd never had a stable sleep and wake pattern until then. And I always thought that I had changable mood. So it was enforced, basically. Precisely, yeah, 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 yeah. Because I had yeah. nothing else to do. And I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. you could get up tomorrow, listen to Boris, tell us how long we're in lockdown for. Fantastic. Yeah. And when I did that, I was like, oh, actually, mm. my mood isn't that turbulent. It's mm. just the fact that I was changing the time that I was awake and asleep each day. And yeah, realizing 
the subjective difference of how it feels, the texture of my mind now versus the texture of my mind five years ago, when I wasn't telling the truth as much, when I didn't understand who I was, when I wasn't contributing to something that gave me sort of genuine existential fulfillment, although I was very proud of the work that we'd done, all of those things have been facilitated fundamentally by biological changes. Getting up, eating, sleeping, training, friends around me, project that I care about. Those things will make a huge change. And we've recently seen a replication crisis with SSRIs. I don't know whether you noticed, you, you saw those stories about uh, serotonin, uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Replication crisis has come for that as well. Doesn't look like that perhaps yeah. has the effect that it's, yes, yes. that doesn't mean that they don't work. What it means is they that they don't, like work, yeah. they don't work on the mechanism that people yeah, perhaps yeah. thought that they did. If people get that stuff sorted, the biological stuff sorted, mm. I would argue that a big chunk of low mood would get washed away. But it's not easy. It's not easy to find friends that you can connect with. It's not easy to find a job that you feel like you, you uh, are connected to. All of these things are hard, but it is step by step, and you can do that. But these are also, they are broadly uh, external things, aren't they? Mm -hmm. uh, in some ways, it does come back to some very old Victorian, you know, sound in mind and body. You know, go for a long walk, do this, Precisely. exercise makes the right. It is it's extraordinary. I mean, that is not modern wisdom so much as ancient, ancient wisdom, wisdom, maybe. Yeah, exactly, traditional wisdom. Yeah. Chris, thank you so much for coming and talking about it. And um, you, it was actually during the, the pa pandemic, wasn't it, that that in some ways provided you with a huge opportunity, didn't it, with the podcast? It was sort of during that period when, when everyone was at home. Yes. When it really built up. Yeah, I mean, the. The pandemic was bad for a lot of reasons, but it was pretty good for on online content yeah, creation. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, I decided to turn pro at that point, which meant committing to things properly. Yeah. Um, Jordan Peterson's got a rule where he says, uh, commit to one pursuit as hard as you can and see what happens. Yes. And I really enjoyed doing that. I really enjoyed leaning into a pursuit that I felt contributed and the satisfaction that you get of a job well done, yeah. I think. It was something that I was missing for a long time. Well, it's a fantastic podcast. If you're not uh, familiar, Modern Wisdom, uh, Chris Williamson here. Thank you very much. Um, we're actually going to ask you to stay on and ask a few, I want to ask you a few questions for our exclusive members, but um, for everybody else, thanks very much indeed, Chris. Thank you. Um, that's it for So What You're Saying is this week, and we shall be back next time. See you then. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free, just remember, to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.